it has been like in, seriously invaluable to get the insight into this water world that otherwise I didn't really have, to be honest. I have a background in planning, and that's very much a land use thing. Even since the past few months I've been with these agencies, I realized that even planning agencies and water agencies didn't really talk that much together. And in my background, my educational background and things that I've done before, it, it wasn't a thing that I would think to reach out to these other agencies. And because of this experience, it makes so much sense. And I'm so happy to have that in my mind right now. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio. This is your host, Mike Hancocks, and joining me is my co-host, Vernice Miller-Travis. Today, we are continuing our series of interviews with Civic Spark fellows about how the program has impacted their lives and their futures and how the projects they have been working on have impacted their communities. Before earning his master's degree in city planning and regeneration at the University of Glasgow in Scotland, Aria Moalemi went to the University of California, Irvine, and received his degree in international studies. He has lived in Le Mans and Lyon in France and has since lived in Montreal, Canada. He is passionate about the field of urban planning. Aria, welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Aria, I noticed your, your bio didn't say you were born and raised in Orange County. <laughs> you talk about France and Montreal. Scotland. I like to emphasize my international perspective as much as possible. It really uh, helps to highlight certain things, I'll say. You have really gotten out and about. Yeah, definitely have. So for, uh, for the folks, Aria, for the folks who haven't listened to the last couple of shows, um, why don't you give us our, your quick version on what the Civic Spark program is all about? Yeah, definitely. So Civic Spark, it is a California version of or California specific AmeriCorps program. There are about 50 of us all throughout the state, and we are helping out local governments with any kind of climate change initiatives that they have. So tell us about you worked in Southern California on water issues. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing there? Yeah, so I'm working with two fantastic agencies in the Inland Empire in uh, Southern California. So one is the Inland Empire Utilities Agency. IEUA, and they are a water wholesaler in western San Bernardino and Riverside counties. And the other is the Santa Ana Watershed Project Authority, SAPA. And SAPA is the watershed wide manager for the Santa Ana River. And so both really progressive agencies and have really, really progressive uh, views towards the management of water. How much acreage is within the Inland Empire? Ooh, that's a great question. I don't know. It's really large. The watershed is, I think, about uh, 2,860 square miles. That's for the Santa Ana River watershed. The Inland Empire itself is going to be much, much larger. I'm not sure. Right. It's humongous. Scientific word. 286,000 square miles? Yeah. Square miles. Yeah. That's plenty big enough by itself. 
So what we, what have you been working on? You've been working with those organizations, but but what have you been doing? Yeah, so with IEUA, I've been helping them with some planning documents on their end. So one is the urban water management plan, and the other is the integrated resources plan. Essentially, both of these documents are their kind of flagship planning documents. They are what is kind of guiding the agency into the next 20, 30 years. So what these documents are doing is they're kind of looking at, okay, what they have available in terms of water, what can they do in terms of options for the future, and how to kind of do the best they can, really. So yeah, let's 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 talk about this a little bit. I think one thing a lot of folks don't know is how much progress Southern California has made already with regard to water. So it's my understanding that in the last 30 to 40, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the last 30 to 40 years, the population of Southern California has doubled. Okay. Yet the the amount of water used has not has been has remained constant. Yeah. So basically a doubling of efficiency. Is that accurate? That is what I've been hearing. Lots of parts of the state have been doing really great jobs in terms of water conservation. And what happens is typically with more people, you have newer houses. Newer houses are a whole lot more water efficient. The way cities are planned, I mean, they're still sprawling a little bit, but they tend to be a little more efficient. And so lots of the waste is cut down. On top of that, it seems like people are using a little bit less water as well. And so lots of agencies are trying to push are trying to push more and more conservation measures. And they've been effective to a degree, but there's still a long, long way to go. I don't know if you have the ability to speak to that, but so in spite of all that, Southern California has been drying out and water is becoming an increasing challenge. Is that correct? Definitely is. And lots of it kind of has to deal with how the water is being managed, how it's being used and addressed. And so with, with IEUA, for example, I really appreciate how they have a, a really strong goal, and Simisapa as well, of trying to be as self-sufficient as possible. And so that is putting a huge emphasis on groundwater storage and groundwater management as much as they possibly can, because groundwater, it doesn't evaporate, it comes from us, it comes from the rain. And so that seems to be a big push, at least in the Inland Empire. And so what, what's the hope? What's the goal? What's the strategy? With all these agencies, it seems that there's just a big push to do a better job of essentially directing water and putting it into the ground as much as we possibly can, as opposed to essentially letting it run down drains, that which happens a lot still, and they're truly trying to cut down on that. I think the term you used earlier was doing the best that they can. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, is... Is there a plan in place that has some level of sustainability or levels off out in the future? Or what does the future of water in Southern California look like? If it's up to SAPA and also IEUA, so these two different agencies, and, the, and so SAPA, IEUA is within SAPA's boundaries, just kind of to put that clear. And in many respects, these two agencies have really similar, really aligned goals. And so I think for both of these agencies, what they would really want is increased cooperation between all the water agencies because there's a whole lot and more than that outside agencies as well so more a collaboration between planning department land use planning departments community uh, uh, groups even in the near future i hope to see more involvement with energy uh, uh, organizations as well um and so that is going to be a huge thing i think so, Aria, tell us about the impact of your work or the impact you hope your work will have. Yeah, so 
With both agencies, I'm doing two different things. IEUA is helping them with these planning documents. And so with that, it's contributing to some of the writing and editing of these really gigantic planning reports. And then at SAPA, I'm helping them essentially project manage. It is a water and energy conservation program called the Water Energy Community Action Network, WECAN. And so with the planning documents, it is trying to get a sense of what the current state of affairs is in terms of water availability and resources and what potential there is. And so with that, I'm working really closely with the planning departments at IEUA to kind of create that. And at SAPA, it's a completely different thing. It is about uh, turf replacement programs for residents living in overburdened communities and fixture replacement programs. And so with that, there is a huge push to essentially help these people save money and also save water and energy. And one of the hugest things that I've learned in the few months that I've been at these agencies is how closely tied water and energy are together and how one affects the other. Talked about kind of a lot is uh, this UC Davis report that came out about a month ago. And it showed that because of the drought in California, all the energy agencies throughout the state, they met all of their conservation goals as well. Because people are using less water, which uses a whole lot less energy. And so because of that energy department, all the energy agencies benefited as well. Wow. Seems like a lesson that needs to be broadly disseminated, you know, across the country. Completely agree. And it seems like it's this thing that's only starting to be talked about. I was recently at an energy efficiency conference. It's a statewide energy efficiency conference. And there was one session on the water energy nexus. And I was so shocked to hear all this information, which was mind-blowing to me. And it seems like it's this, this, it's this discussion that is just in the process of starting to be talked about more and more. And I expect to see a whole lot more of it. Can you share with our audience, Aria, the moment when you decided you wanted to become a Civic Spark Fellow? What was that like? It was a tough decision, to be honest. <laughs> um, becoming a Civic Spark Fellow, it's described as being a volunteer. And with that, there are certain sacrifices that you have to make to become a volunteer full-time. And so while I've definitely lived a much more humbler lifestyle, (laughs) the benefits have been fantastic. For me, this program was a wonderful opportunity to be introduced to these really great agencies. Throughout the program, you have fellows working on amazing projects and getting some real real firsthand experience and some really progressive, amazing things that agencies are trying to do. And so with the two agencies I've been working with, it has been seriously invaluable to get the insight into this water world that otherwise I didn't really have, to be honest. I have a background in planning, and that's very much a land use thing. And even even since the past few months I've been with these agencies, I realized that even planning agencies and water agencies, they don't really talk that much together. And in my background, my educational background and things that I've done before, it it wasn't a thing that I would think to reach out to these other agencies. And because of this experience, it makes so much sense. And I'm so happy to have that in my mind right now. One of the questions we haven't asked the other Civic Spark folks is, tell us about your relationship with you know, you've mentioned you met, met all these other great people, but do you anticipate that you'll have an ongoing relationship, a networking relationship with the other Civic Spark fellows? And uh, will you keep in touch? And how is that experience going to impact you going forward? 
Yeah, so with this, all the fellows are, are, are placed into to regional groupings. So I am part of the Southern California grouping, and I meet at least once a month with my cohort, who are mostly in L.A. I'm the only one in the Inland Empire, so a lot further east than everyone else. But we have grown to become a really tight group, I think. We have become friends. We're all working in different different fields and working on different projects, but they all correlate to some degree, and we all have we really are all on the same wavelength. And so that really expands the whole state, I think. So while I don't see the fellows in, in, in the San Francisco Bay area that often, when we do meet up, it's kind of like a, like a, like a club or a group where everyone just kind of becomes warm and becomes friendly all, all, all together. I really expect these people to stay in my life to some degree and absolutely remain strong networking contacts. So, Arya, what, what's next for you? What will you be doing after your um, Civic Spark Fellowship ends? That is a fantastic question, and I am crossing my fingers tightly for that one. <laughs> Ideally, I would love to find some position that helps me expand upon any kind of insight or knowledge or, or, or help in this water and land use nexus and finding a way to help bridge those two those two uh, uh, different worlds as much as I possibly can. I mean, you've kind of mentioned that the Civic Spark experience has opened up your eyes to this issue. Do you see the skills that you've learned and the experience you've had? Will this make you a stronger job candidate and a better professional moving forward? I certainly think so. One huge thing that I really appreciate with my project partners, so at, at the two agencies, has been the level of autonomy they've given me with my projects. They could meet lots of responsibilities and lots of tasks where I was the project manager and I was the one responsible for just getting this through. Those have been wonderful, wonderful experiences. And even just this past week, I was speaking to friends about how much more confident I feel about life post Civic Spark because of the experiences that I've gained. The knowledge, the skills, definitely. Make sure you put that on your resume. So, yeah. So do, do you think that this, uh, the experience will make you a stronger job candidate? I certainly do, um, especially in Southern California. I think having uh, a really strong introduction to what's happening in water, water is going to be really helpful. At the same time, my background is in land use planning, and I have experience in land use planning as well. So those two things, I think, are going to be really helpful. On top of that, my master's thesis was a little, little more transportationally oriented, and I have come across a few things that really bridge all those three things together. So it makes me a little much more unique, I think, as a candidate, and I'm really excited about that. What advice, Aria, would you give anyone else who's interested in becoming a Civic Spark Fellow? Oof. <laughs> Advice-wise, I would say that if there is a candidate who is interested in the world of sustainability. It is a fantastic introduction to different agencies and to kind of what's happening in terms of sustainability or workings. It, it's really eye-opening and it is an incredible introduction to local governments and also what's happening on the environmental front. And we heard from some of your other colleagues that there's going to be a focus group of Civic Spark fellows looking at water issues and water infrastructure, and it couldn't be more timely in California and across the country. Yeah, that's true. I have heard that as well. I believe there's going to be a branch of the program that's dedicated specifically to water. For those people, I would say that sounds like such an amazing program, and I'm so happy that I'm kind of part of that now, but much less officially 
it sounds like a fantastic, fantastic opportunity. And where can folks learn more about the Civic Spark program if they're interested? Yeah, there are actually two places you can go. The website is a definite first uh, uh, place. It's www.civicspark.lgc.org. And also there's a Facebook page uh, for Civic Spark. So our next three questions are what we call the lightning round questions. So we're going to ask the questions and we want you to give a succinct answer of what pops into your head first. First one is if you could implement one change or pick one leverage point that would lead to smarter, more sustainable and more equitable communities, what would it be? Limiting traffic or vehicular traffic on streets. What one action could our average listener, the average citizen take to help build a more equitable and sustainable future? Do as much as they possibly can to try to take the bus or just not drive. (laughs) And would you say that, Aria, if you weren't living and working in Southern California, would that be your idea for us as as a nation? I think so. I mean, there are so many social, societal, even health problems. Uh, The list goes on and on about the consequences of this emphasis on vehicular transportation. We have this notion that we need it, a car, and we really don't in many respects. I mean, to be fair, it does depend on where you live. But if you can find a way to avoid that, I think that's such a better and healthier way to live. It's really interesting. We had a, a, one of our guests recently was Joel Macauer from Green Biz. And uh, he has a new book out with a couple of co-authors called The, um, the Grand Strategy. Uh, and there's a subtitle. But one of the things that they talked about was that millennials in particular – are very uh, interested and want to live in walkable communities, which is also happens now to be true of the baby boomer generation. Their vision is there's this huge pent-up demand and not enough supply of communities and places where people can live that are walkable. Yeah, in many respects, that's the case. And also, I think a big thing is it does require a certain degree of sacrifice. It could be time. It could be the sense of freedom and flexibility. Convenience. Convenience, definitely. But also, it's, it's, it's much more social. I find when I take the bus, like, for example, I actually took the bus from the Inland Empire to L.A. today. Quite a drive, but it's doable. And I can sit back. I can read, I can get some work done. And it, it's, it's, it's a, for me, it's a much more social experience. And I really appreciate that. So last question in the lightning round, if you're successful in the work that you're doing, what will water system resilience in Southern California look like 30 years from now? I would say that it would be a world where the common resident kind of sees water as a resource versus some sort of commodity or asset. And so it's a resource that they respect and a world where conservation is the norm. Conservation is the norm. Or smart usage, I should say. Smart usage. Absolutely. Well, Aria, we can't thank you enough for spending this time with us. Thank you so very much for allowing us to interview you and being a part of our podcast. No, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. And we thank you all for listening, and we hope you will join us the next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com. Or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash 
Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.